A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello again, my good friend. Nice to see you on a summer evening or a summer afternoon, whenever it is you happen to be listening to this, the July edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for checking us out. If it's your first time, glad you rolled in. Uh, We're going to be talking about movies, TV, and music. I handle the first two, and a friend of mine, and a friend of yours, if you're a longtime listener of the show, named Andy Sedlak, will be handling the latter part we'll be tossing it up to him in just a little bit but i am clint davis i record my part of the show here uh just outside of beautiful columbus ohio andy does his segment from cleveland not that it really matters because as i've told you in past episodes uh, from looking at the stats we've got listeners all over the world we've got um pretty much in every continent not uh, not antarctica but you know trying to get some of those you know, some of those researchers up there, hopefully they'll take an interest. But I don't know how much TV they watch up there. I'd have to imagine if you're in Antarctica that TV is one of the only things you have to really do every day, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot, not a lot of ball games to go to, not a lot of golf to be played in Antarctica. But anyway, you can always listen to the Stream Police podcast if you're up there freezing your ass off in the middle of July. I urge you to go over to YouTube, check out my page there, Overdue Review, my neglected page. You can also follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, Mr. Clint Davis, and Andy is on there at Andy Sedlak. His last name is spelled S-E-D-L-A-K. You can hit me on email at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can reach Andy at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. All right, as I said last month, I'm bringing back the stogie. I lit it up for the first time in a long time last month because it felt like, you know, we had the pandemic kind of getting it under control. We're getting a handle on things finally. Uh, And then, of course, this Delta variant comes swooping in out of nowhere. Thank you for that. And uh, now it's like we're, we're restarting again. At least, you know, it's getting a ton of people sick, of course. So but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna stick with it. I'm not putting the, the Stogies back in the humidor just yet. So let's go ahead and light up another one. Oh, that's good. So we're in episode 92 of the Stream Police. We've been coming at you for a long time, once a month here on the show. And every month for the last 65 episodes, we've given you a new entry into our canon of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time this week. And did you know that in those 65, I guess it's 64 before this one, this is the 65th. So in the past 64 editions of this segment, 
We have never done the theme song of a reality television show. Can you imagine that with all the reality shows that have come out, that have been popular, that have been, you know, just staples of our broadcasting lineup for the last 25 years that we have never featured one here on the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week? The closest we ever came, and I guess it's debatable on what you think is reality TV shows because we've we've done news We've done news themes. We've done sports themes. Um, the closest to a reality show that we've done, though, in my estimation, is the Jackass theme, which we featured back in the April 2017 episode. So that was more than four years ago, and that's the closest thing we've ever done to a reality show, if you ask me. Well, my friend, that streak ends today. In the 20-plus years that this television show I'm about to talk about has been on the air, it hasn't always been pretty. It damn sure hasn't been art, but it has had a theme song that kicks it off in the perfect way. I'm talking about the opener from CBS's Survivor. I mean, it's one of those theme songs, and I bring this up a lot in this segment, that you know as soon as you hear the first second of the theme, and that is so important. That opening of that theme is so iconic, uh, and just all you can think of is, you know, the tiki torches and the, uh, the, the tribal council and the, you know, like head rags that they wear and just all that, all that stuff, the scantily clad people with their tan bodies and Jeff Probst hacking his way through the jungle with his big machete. Survivor has been a part of CBS's primetime lineup since May 31st, 2000. That's when it debuted. And that could mean that could make this show older than some of you listening to this show, I'm sure. And the show is likely to outlast us all, actually. Uh, pun fully intended there, the show sees a group of willing volunteers stranded on a desert island and forced to endure physical and mental challenges for 39 days, all while they provide food and shelter for themselves and form strategic friendships that will help them survive the regular votes that they do uh, that send a single person home every time they do one of the votes. My mom has been watching Survivor since day one. She has been a legit fan from the go. And I never really got into it. Uh, you know, I remember watching the first couple seasons with her when I was, you know, still obviously like a teenager living at home. Um, and I remember watching those first couple seasons with her, but I never really got that into it. But I always loved this theme song. I would just feel this kind of rush of energy from hearing it come through the TV speakers back in the day. <laughs> The Survivor theme actually has a title. It's not just called the Survivor theme. It's called Ancient Voices. And the song was composed by a guy named Russ Landau. And Russ Landau was nominated for the Emmy for Outstanding Main Title Music after the show's first season aired. So this theme song was nominated for an Emmy. It ended up losing the award, but uh, Landau himself would end up winning that coveted honor later in his career for his work composing the theme for a, tw a 2007 CBS show called Pirate Master, which actually came from Mark Burnett, the same producer, 
behind Survivor. Does anybody remember Pirate Master? Because I have absolutely never heard of that show. I wasn't watching a ton of TV in 2007, but I do not remember, and I certainly wasn't watching a lot of network TV uh, back then, but I do not remember Pirate Master. I don't even remember hearing about it. It was only on for one season. But the show won an Emmy uh, because of its theme song written by the same guy who did this ditty. An interesting note about the Survivor theme is that actually it was at the center of a lawsuit because some New Age music artist claimed that a song of his was sampled and ripped off and used in the Survivor theme without proper permission. The artist sued for $800,000 based on the research that I was able to do. This lawsuit was in 2001, so it was kind of right after the show took off. And uh, I cannot find, I couldn't find anywhere a record of what happened in the end with the lawsuit. So I don't know what ended up happening there. But I have to imagine that, you know, $800,000 is what this guy was asking for. They, that's That amount of money is so insignificant compared to what CBS has earned from Survivor and probably had even earned just in 2001, they had probably earned enough to just kind of throw money at this guy and, and, and leave it alone. So I have to imagine this was settled without much issue because I never read, couldn't find anything else about this lawsuit other than the fact that it had been filed uh, by this new age artist who probably got the greatest payday of his life because uh, the because Russ Landau decided to rip him off for the Survivor theme song. Uh, Ancient Voices remains the opening theme to Survivor after all these years. It's still the opener. Did you know that Survivor was actually based on a Swedish television series called Expedition Robinson? Uh, and that show debuted in 1997 and is still on the air today. I had I didn't know that. I did not know it was based, certainly not on a Swedish show, uh, and didn't know that the show it was based on was actually still on. So the show it was based on was outlasting Survivor as well. Again, pun intended. So you do know that now. Uh, so don't say I never did anything nice for you, my friend. The show was inescapable in the early 2000s. If you weren't around in the early 2000s, you don't even know. Like Survivor was everywhere. It became a cultural touchstone in the United States. It helped reality TV take off as a genre and just take off way too fast. And there were way too many shows. Um, and it, but Survivor gave us all these like phrases that people would use. Like the tribe has spoken. People would say that. Some people still say that. I mean, my God. Um, but it was like people would say that all the time whenever a decision had been made and. Um, it, the show kind of made everyone refer to partnerships and friendships as alliances forevermore, uh, in, in a nod to that show. So it, it just kind of put these words in our lexicon and survivor also made Jeff probes worth approximately $50 million based on my research for essentially staying out of the way. So that's pretty impressive. That's the American dream if I've ever heard of it. Uh, but the best thing that survivor has given us over the last 20 some years is its opening title music, Ancient Voices by Russ Landau. That's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time, this week. Survivor. Is it a piece of your uh, guilty pleasure viewing? Um, and guilty pleasure is kind of one of those phrases I don't really like that much. Because I just feel like, you know, it, it's TV at the end of the day. 
it's not the most important thing in the world. It's not even close. And uh, anything that you enjoy watching, that's the whole point of it, right? Um, and if it's a show that you can learn something from and can make you think more, that's great. But if it's not, then we all have those shows that we just watch because we like them for whatever reason, uh, that they don't really give us anything other than entertainment. And uh, Survivor is that for a lot of people. It's why it continues to be on the air. And it, like I said, probably will never go away because why would it? There's always going to be, you know, hot 20-something people who want to go on television and uh, can put their lives on pause somehow for 40 days. I never understood how they were able to do that. Like, who, what jobs do these people work where they're like, yeah, I'm just going to take off for 40 days, uh, go out and live in the jungle, and I'm going to be malnourished and probably feel like shit when I come back, so I'll probably be missing even more work. I just can't imagine, like, how, you know? I mean, it's got to be these people that are so starving to be famous and this the show debuted, you know, before social media existed. So these were these people were not like I mean, they didn't even have the outlet that people have now who just are able to go on Instagram and get millions of followers. I mean, they they had to just go on Survivor or some other show. And it ended up being a really good kind of platform for some people to get little fan bases uh, based on their appearances and their looks and or, and their uh, attitudes on the show and stuff like that. So. It's where Elizabeth Hasselbeck came from. I mean, and she's a person who, I don't know if I'd call her a household name, but she's a pretty well-known person, and she came from Survivor. That's, you know, where she became a name and ended up turning that into a career, basically. So it's crazy. Survivor has uh, just, it, it's been around forever, and it will probably be around forever. But, I, you know, a lot of people would consider it a, a guilty pleasure show. My mom does not. She still she loves it. She still thinks it's the greatest show on TV. So she watches it every week. Doesn't care what anybody says. Uh, doesn't think it's stupid. Watches it just, you know, by herself, basically. Uh, and goes to work. And I don't even know if people at work talk about it with her anymore. But she just still likes watching it. Uh, so, you know, hey, that's, we all have those shows. And the reason I bring that up is because I watched something in this last month that totally counts as a piece of just, you know, popcorn entertainment that gave me nothing whatsoever to think about, uh, but took up about five hours of my life one evening. And that was TNT's The Match, which if you haven't seen this, this is, they've been doing this. This was the fifth edition of it, I think. It's it's called The Match. And it, it no, it's not boxing or any kind of other fighting or something like that. It's golf. And what they do is it's every one of the matches so far has had Phil Mickelson in it. And in the first one, he took on Tiger Woods and it was this big, it was like billed as this really serious thing. And it was on pay-per-view and I don't even remember how many people paid for it. I didn't pay for it, certainly, but a lot of people did. And it was like, you get to watch the two, you know, greatest golfers of their generation go head to head, uh, just one-on-one -on -one in match play. So they're playing, you know, like one hole up, one hole down, whatever, uh, not playing like strokes like a regular golf tournament would be. Anyway, not to get too much into the weeds here. But the match over the years has become more of something that's just kind of silly than anything else. It's not the serious thing that it was kind of billed to be at first. And when you have Tiger Woods involved in anything, of course, it's going to feel serious because he's intense. But now it's just kind of a fun thing. And that's what the, the last, the, this most recent edition was. And I tuned in for it because it was on TNT. And I'm like, why not? You know, it was like on a Tuesday night. I didn't have anything else to watch at that point. Middle of summer. 
uh, not a whole lot going on. So it's like either am I going to watch the Reds again or uh, am I going to watch the match? Which this year it ended, it was it was a two on two match. It was Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady on a team versus Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau, who is another professional golfer. So you had two pro golfers and you had two non pros, two amateur golfers uh, playing in this on teams with each other. So and and basically what it was, they all four rode in their own carts. And their carts were decked out with like their own names on them and logos of all their like sponsors and the charities that they support. And each of them had an earpiece in so they could hear the broadcasters and they could hear each other. And they were all mic'd up the whole time. And they're just like kind of trash talking each other. And there's cameras in their carts. So you could really like it was like you were there with them. And it was really just about like trash talking each other and just kind of making jokes and you know, there were different contests that had to be done. Like, you know, you got your closest to the pen kind of things. And if you can hit a hole in one, then a few hundred thousand dollars will be donated to charity. And tons of money ended up being donated to charity and tons of meals ended up being donated to fight hunger in America. So these were, this was really what it was all about. It was a big like fundraiser essentially, but it really, uh, I was fun to watch. I, I liked TNT's broadcast of the whole thing. I, I thought the views were gorgeous. They played at this golf course in Montana that I had never heard of, and it was just stunning. And it made you just want to go there. It just looked beautiful. It was like a John Ford Western, uh, but this was golf. So, you know, there was a lot of time to kind of just take in the vistas uh, in between them taking shots and and talking to each other and everything else. Nobody was taking the golf really that seriously, so it was fun to watch because it was it was cool. You got to actually see like. Phil Mickelson hitting out of really like shitty rough, like what, you know, amateurs all the time, whenever we go golfing, the kind of stuff that we're hitting out of, like you never see the pros hit out of this stuff, like hack out of this really tall grass, but they were, he was having to do it um, because of the format of the whole thing. And, uh, and that was fun to see, you know, it was fun to see them kind of be uncomfortable hitting shots and see how they play them. And uh, I was, uh, I was just really into it. I just enjoyed the entire broadcast I, I still think Tom Brady is an annoying boy scout and I think he could have easily been swapped out for someone else but other than that I enjoyed the other three and uh, it, it was fun to see and it was impressive to see how good of a golfer Aaron Rodgers was as well kind of just makes you be like Jesus Christ I mean is there anything that these guys can't do it's it's kind of annoying really I'd like to see them suck at something but Turner's coverage uh, of all of its sports has really impressed me over the years. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Inside the NBA. A lot of people are fans of that show. It's, you know, won just a ton of Emmys over the few decades that it's been on. And it continues to be one of the must-see sports shows on TV. If if you just want to hear commentary that is, uh, you know, a lot of times really well thought out and poignant, but also just entertaining as well. Uh, which is, you know, they've got Shaq and Charles Barkley on there, and the two of them just can't really, I wouldn't call their analysis that studied. A lot of times I don't know if they even know what they're talking about necessarily other than talking about their own careers, but it's entertaining, of course, and then Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson do a really good job of keeping things down to earth and keeping things uh, thoughtful as well. So that shows tremendous, uh, their NBA broadcasts in general, because Turner also owns NBA TV, and they do these broadcasts sometimes on 
NBA TV that are called players only broadcasts, which are really, I think it's, it's, it's a shame that more sports networks don't take advantage of all the sports that they have to cover and take and do more experimental stuff with their broadcasts. Cause ESPN is very like cookie cutter with their broadcasts. There's not, they don't, re, they don't really take chances a lot, but this players only thing that the NBA TV has done over the last few years is really interesting. And what it is, is they remove the traditional play-by-play broadcaster, and they just put like two or sometimes three players there, and they call the game kind of, but not really. They're not really doing play-by-play because, I mean, you're watching the game, so you don't necessarily need the play-by-play like you do on radio. And don't get me wrong because I'm somebody who, like, I studied play-by-play broadcasting. I did it back in the day. Um, I am a great, like, I love when somebody's great at play-by-play on TV, on radio, either way. I think it's one of the best, you know, jobs that anyone can do in broadcasting. It's extremely tough to do it well. Uh, and I think that, you know, those men and women that do it just, uh, deserve all the credit in the world, but it's cool to hear just players talking and just kind of chatting uh, in their own way and not having their thoughts be broken up by, oh, well, I have to call this dunk now or something. So that's something, again, that Turner does as well, those players-only broadcasts. Their baseball coverage is good as well. Brian Anderson and Ron Darling do a really good job on their games in the playoffs and stuff, and now they're going to be – they've got the NHL contract from NBC, who's had it forever. So the NHL is no longer going to be on NBC. It's going to be on uh, Turner going forward for the next few years anyway and and i'm interested to see what they do there because they hired wayne gretzky so you can't get a bigger name i mean that's like hiring michael jordan to call your nba games which i don't know if would be the greatest thing ever you know as cool as it kind of sounds i don't think listening to to michael jordan call basketball games would necessarily be the greatest thing ever but you know it it, it could be um you know, don't put anything past Mike. It would certainly have its moments where it would be worth talking about. But uh, Gretzky on uh, the NHL, I don't know. We'll see. He's a nice guy, so that doesn't necessarily always make great broadcaster. But uh, he'll probably get some people to tune in just to hear Wayne Gretzky talking about hockey. So, uh, again, I want to praise TNT and Turner and their sports coverage. I think they've done a great job over the last few years, and the match was kind of the latest example of it. So if you see it, uh, if you're able to watch it on demand, check it out, uh, because it was just kind of, you know, a fun watch. Again, something to have on in the background, and even if you're not that into golf, I think uh, it could help you get into the sport a little bit because it was just guys hanging out, having fun, and if you're a football fan and you want to see you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in action and, and just kind of hear them behind the scenes a little bit more and get to know their personalities a little bit more. This was a good way to do it. So it was a, it was a good broadcast. I had fun watching it. Walked 50 yards, so I'm huffing and puffing. <laughs> Cavs are looking great, though. Thank you. Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, maybe go in. Oh, 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 hey, out of the gates. That's all we do. Nice layup. Good teamwork. That's not good. That's in trouble. Like that's what happens though when you try to keep it up with me. I mean, on national TV, a 51-year-old out driving, it can't happen. Just caught it a little bit on the toe. That's what happens when you hit far. Let's go play. All I did is hit a nasty one and say try to keep up. Where are they? Oh, they're way back there. Yeah. Oh, I was only looking 50 behind me. They were 100 (laughs) behind me. My bad. (laughs) 12. My landing spot breaks a little left. Taking it back a certain amount with an open face, cl- you know, square face, really open. A little into the grain, hook it almost. Okay. Into it, Goes just to kind of keep saying. it trundling and rolling. Yeah. Is there anything else? 
<laughs> Chipping it in. That's why you gotta keep it on the low. That Tom Brady is a pretty man. I mean, I know it's not he a fair is, way, and he but smells incredible. Uh, <laughs> can I ask you about your hand? What's going on with your hand? Chuck, I am soft, okay? <laughs> Tom and Aaron take hits from linemen. Okay, I get a little owie on my hand and I tape it up and I try to look tough. That's that's what it is, but I'm soft. All right, before I toss things over to Andy, I got a really good question from uh, one of our listeners named Amanda uh, in this last month. And she sent me a message on July 4th and said, uh, what's your go-to 4th of July movie? And I have never been asked that. Of all the movie questions I've been asked before. I have never been asked what my go-to July 4th movie was. So it took me a second. It was like, that's a pretty good question. And, you know, I, I, I thought about it. And I sent her back some answers. Um, and I wanted to give those to you right here on the show. Because I know, obviously, we're past July 4th. But, uh, you know, this is, this is bigger than just, like, patriotism and Independence Day and whatever. Because... In the movies that I'm picking out here, I don't think any of them, one of them might, but none of these movies are like about war or even have gunfire in them or explosions, really. These are these are movies that just, to me, give me pride. And I am not like a flag-waving kind of, you know, big, I would not call myself a big patriot by any stretch of the imagination. But what Independence Day to me is about is just what are the things that make you proud of this country, if anything? Because there may not be anything, but if there's anything that makes you proud about this country, what is it and what movies kind of bring that out to you, whether it's in their spirit or it's explicitly stated in the action that happens or, or whatever, just the music, I, I don't care. Just what is it that kind of, what movies make you proud and 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 bring up the things that make you that, that kind of sum up the essence of America to you. So I've got five picks I'm going to give you that would be my go-to 4th of July movies. So thank you Amanda for the idea here. Uh let me give you these in reverse chronological order. So we'll start with the newest one and that the newest one I've got for you came out in 1997. It is Wag the Dog. And this is unquestionably going to be one of my go-to July 4th movies. It's probably my favorite political movie uh, ever. Uh, and it's one of my favorite comedies ever, period. Just cracks me up. Every time I've ever seen it, I just die laughing. The script is so funny. Co-written by the great David Mamet. Um, so you can thank him, at least partially, for this. Directed by Barry Levinson, who actually directed two of the movies I'm going to give you out of the five that are my go-to July 4th movies. So something about Barry Levinson, man. He knows how to make me, uh, you know, just swell with pride. And Wag the Dog is one of these movies. This is a this is a dark comedy, though. It's about, if you've never seen it, it's a political, like, dark comedy about this fixer who gets hired when he gets wind that a, um, <laughs> a, a sex scandal, news of a sex scandal involving the president is about to break. So it's about to become public. So they bring this guy in, played by Robert De Niro, who can fix anything. He can make anything go away. He knows how to spin things. And, and he's just a master of this. And so he ends up getting hooked up with this Hollywood producer, played by um, Dustin Hoffman, in one of Hoffman's absolute best roles. In the, and watching Hoffman and De Niro play off of each other is, is brilliant in this movie. They're both kind of still at their height in 1997. Um 
And Hoffman is this just like eccentric Hollywood producer, and they work together to concoct like this fake war, basically, this fake situation um, that will make the president, that will swallow up all the headlines and make the president be heroic for a little while. And it's just a brilliant, so funny, so cynical movie. The The cast is great, too. Dennis Leary's in it, William H. Macy, Woody Harrelson, uh, Willie Nelson, Anne Heche. Uh, a lot of really good people in Wag the Dog, and it is just one of the best scripts that you'll ever have, So that, that you'll ever hear. So uh, check it out. It, it's so funny and just, again, is about all of those things that about how sleazy politics can be and about the news media and, and our willingness, and I include myself in that, to chase whatever the shiniest object is that's thrown our way uh, and how we can be manipulated by people who are smarter than us. And that's what happens in, uh, in Wag the Dog. So it's, it's just, a, just a great movie. If you've never seen it, please check it out because it's brilliant. doesn't matter if it's July 4th or not, but that one's on my list for the best movies to watch on Independence Day. To go for smart bomb falling down the chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss. The American people bought that war. Mm-hmm. War is show business. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. It's a, it's, it's a pageant. It's a pageant, that's what it is. Country's a war. It's Mr. America and your bird parks. Why Albania? Because well, they have to have something we want. Well, I'm sure they do. What do we have that they want? Oh, freedom. Well, why would they want that? Oppressing? No, 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 no. Fuck freedom. They want to they destroy the godless Satan of the United. They want to destroy our way of life, all right? Albanian terrorists have placed a suitcase bomb in Canada in an attempt to infiltrate the bomb into the USA. Oh, that's good. Number two, I'm going to give you from 1995, The American President. I talked about this not that long ago here on the show. Uh, so I won't belabor it too much, but this one's directed by the great Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin. This was kind of the forerunner to the West Wing. So if you've if you've watched the West Wing, but you've never seen the American president for whatever reason, when you watch this movie, you're going to be like, wow, this is like the West Wing is kind of coming together in its initial stages. And that's exactly what you're seeing here. This is almost like a, a backdoor pilot for the West Wing. I mean, it's got uh, Michael Douglas plays the president this time around. Martin Sheen plays his uh, head of staff. Of course, you know, or his chief of staff. You know, Sheen would play the president in the West Wing, of course. Annette Benning's in it as well. Michael J. Fox does great work in this movie um, in one of his last kind of big high profile movie roles, uh, live action movie roles. So, yeah, the American president's great. It, it's full of um, heart, and it's, it's again, very smart, just a, a, a fantastic script, again, from Aaron Sorkin, funny, a um, lot of truth in it, and just, again, a lot of heart. This is a, a really human look at that office and that job uh, that we don't see a lot. This is not a movie about kicking ass and being the biggest, baddest man in the room. This is uh, kind of a movie about the man, um, in this case, uh, that could sit in that office and, and, and what it's like to be in the public eye. So check out The American President if you've never seen it. That's another very good Independence Day movie. She is one vote away. It's important legislation that for the first time has a legitimate chance. She deserves every opportunity she... to put... You meant head, didn't you, sir? You meant the important legislation deserves every opportunity. Louis, shut up. You have something to say to me, Lewis? Respectfully, sir. I think we should examine the new poll for something more than its Examine what? They don't like that I'm going out with Sydney. It's not that simple. 
I think that this poll brings a murky problem in a specific relief. Whose problem are we talking about, Lewis? Yours? You worried about losing your job? Because this poll isn't talking about my presidency. This poll is talking about my life! 264 million 264 people! 264 million people don't give a damn about your life. They give a damn about their own. All right, that's enough. <sighs> Mr. President, you raised a daughter. Almost entirely on your own. And she's terrific. So what does it say to you that in the past seven weeks, 59% of this country has begun to question your family values? The president doesn't answer to you, Lewis. Oh, yes, he does, AJ. I'm a citizen. This is my president. And in this country, it is not only permissible to question our leaders, it's our responsibility. Let's go to 1990. This one's going to maybe come out of left field a little bit for you, but I'm going to tell you why. It's Days of Thunder. And Days of Thunder might be my biggest, loudest, baddest July 4th movie. I'm not going to turn on Independence Day. I'm not even going to turn on The Patriot or any of the myriad war movies that I could watch, you know, Saving Private Ryan or whatever. I'm going to watch Days of Thunder because it's big, it's loud, the soundtrack kicks ass, and what is more American than the automobile? To me, if somebody asked me to say what's the most essential American innovation and invention ever, I have to say it's the car. I think it tops all of them because what? where would we be as a country, this huge landmass, if we couldn't drive? I mean, I just can't even imagine. I can imagine us without phones. I can imagine us without computers. I can imagine us even without TVs, but I cannot imagine us without cars. And Days of Thunder is NASCAR. Again, maybe the most American sport ever invented. Wasting gas, driving around in circles, wrecking out in the heat. You know, people just watching cars go in circles. Um, guys having dick measuring contests, basically, on a weekly basis out on this track. And... Um, Days of Thunder is just a badass movie. It's great. Directed by the late, great Tony Scott. Uh, written by Robert Town. I, I forgot that Days of Thunder was written by Robert Town. He's the guy that wrote what many people consider to be the greatest screenplay ever written in Chinatown. So then he writes Days of Thunder, which is another just brilliant It's a great movie. It's underrated. Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, Nicole Kidman, the great Michael Rooker, Randy Quaid's in it. Fantastic cast. Again, great soundtrack, pulse-pounding action, uh, some really sad, stunning moments as well, and just a brilliant movie. Days of Thunder, one of the great July 4th movies, because what's more American? And the movie is like pretty much all taking place in the summer, so it all it, it works for you as a July 4th movie, I think. wandering all over the track. Yeah, well, the son of a bitch just slammed into me. No, he didn't slam into you. He didn't bump you. He didn't nudge you. He rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. There goes a fender. There goes a quarter pan. Let's go to 1984, my fourth of five go-to July 4th movies. This one is a no-brainer. 
It's The Natural with Robert Redford. Again, Barry Levinson, he directed Wag the Dog and he directed The Natural. And I just think The Natural is so magical. That is the perfect word to describe this movie. And it, it just it just gets into that otherworldly thing about baseball that so many people connect with that sport. I like baseball, but I'm not one of those guys who is, you know, like Billy Crystal, like I worship baseball and the heroes of the game. I think they're just these untouchable American gods and stuff like that. I'm not one of those people, but the natural moved me and, and moved something in me to make, to understand those people a little bit more because this movie just has such an optimism and a power and again, a magic to it uh, that really just taps into why so many people do love this game. So uh, the, the cast again, Robert Redford, Glenn Close, Robert Duvall, Barbara Hershey, a lot of great players in uh, The Natural. And, you know, the score by Randy Newman is, is one of the all-time great movie scores uh, and really put Newman on the map as far as a guy who could write film music that was really good. Uh, and he's written some great film scores over the years, but I think The Natural might be the peak, might be the all-time highlight for him as far as that goes. Uh, so that's The Natural's got to be on my list for go-to July 4th movies as well. Ryan's going to look in against Hobbs right now. He's going to check Vivens at first base. Baker leading off the second base right now. And here comes the pitch. Strike one! Fastball inside corner, strike one. Hobbs didn't like the call. Well, welcome to the majors, Mr. Hobbs. Right, gave him a good, strong fastball on the inside Finally, the fifth one I'm going to give you from 1983, The Right Stuff. This is probably the most obvious July 4th movie that I've got in the bunch, but how could I leave it out? The Right Stuff is one of my absolute favorite movies. It's an epic with a capital E, more than three hours long. This is the movie that goes into the true story of the, the original, the Project Mercury astronauts. They were the first astronauts. They were the... the you know, the men that basically showed the world it was possible to go beyond the sky and reach beyond it and, and see what was out there. And it inspired, you know, entire generations of scientists and people to go into the military even. Uh, and uh, it's just, I mean, the original astronauts, the, these guys are, again, like I was talking about with baseball, these guys are mythical at this point. So the right stuff was written and directed by Philip Kaufman, which I always think is amazing that this movie was written and directed by one person, because again, it is just such an epic and it covers so much ground and so many great figures from, you know, modern American history. Uh, and it does it so well. And I just think, uh, you know, gives them good character moments and it's just a, a really, it's just a great movie and it's just powerhouse. It's one of those movies that you turn up loud and you just get lost in it. You have a few drinks, you watch it, and you just feel good. And you just like, you're proud to be an American. And there's not many movies that make me feel that way. But the right stuff does. The cast, tremendous again. Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, the late, great Sam Shepard, Fred Ward, Barbara Hershey again, Randy Quaid again. 
and Levon Helm is in it, and he narrates the damn thing. So what else do you want? And can you believe the right stuff bombed at the box office? I mean, it. nobody went and saw this thing, but thankfully it's now regarded as an American classic, as it should be, and I put it on my list as the great one of the great go-to July 4th movies. If you're asking, humble old me. Say there, Jaeger. Sir? We were just talking to uh, Slick here about the sound barrier. Is that right? And we feel that the X-1 is ready to have a go at it. We think the X-1's got the answer to go beyond Mach 1. If there is any beyond. So what do you think, Jaeger? Well, I'll tell you what, half these engineers never been off the ground, you know. I mean, they're liable to tell you that the sound barrier's a brick wall in the sky. It'll rip your ears off if you try to go through it. If you ask me, I don't believe the damn thing even exists. Waitress, a drink from Mr. Yeager here. No, thanks, I got one. So, do you think you want to have a go at it? I might. But uh, since, as you say, this sound barrier doesn't really exist, uh, how much... How much you got? I'm just joking. The Air Force is paying me already, ain't that right, sir? Well, sure, Jaeger, but... So when do we go? Well, how about tomorrow morning? I'll be there. See you there. How much are you paying him? I think it's $283. A week? A month. Apollo 13's really good, too and is kind of the spiritual successor to the right stuff, but the right stuff is better, if you ask me. I just I just think it's better. I mean, the, you know, the, the story of Apollo 13 might be more immediately gratifying and might be more dramatic, but the right stuff, there's just something great about it. Uh, and coming out in the 1980s without the uh, aid of, you know, computers kind of making the effects happen, there's just something, again, magical and, and, uh, and mystical about that movie. And that's why I put it on my list as one of my go-to 4th of July movies. So there you go. Uh, if you're wondering which movies I, I check out that make me feel proud to be an American, I would say uh, Wag the Dog, The American President, Days of Thunder, The Natural, and The Right Stuff. So what do you have? Which movies make you feel that way? Uh, which ones make you proud? Which ones would you watch on July 4th? Do you have one? Have you ever thought of that? I thought it was a great question, so I figured I'd bring it to you. All right, let's toss things over to Andy and see what he's been listening to this month. He's going to give you, as always, five more songs added to the never-ending playlist up at Spotify, which I urge you to go check out. Just search Stream Police at Spotify and you'll find both the podcast and the playlist. So go ahead and subscribe and uh, subscribe to both of them while you're at it. All right, take it away, my friend. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, when I think about movies and America and Americanness, I, I, I always think of all the president's men. Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford. You've got everything that's sleazy about this country and everything that has been wonderful about this country is right next to each other. All the President's Men. If you haven't seen that, put it on your list. All the President's Men. The story of the two young reporters who cracked the Watergate conspiracy. White House. Howard Hunt, please. He might be Mr. Colson's office. Who's Charles Colson? Did you know uh, Howard Hunt? Well, the White House said he was doing some investigative work. What do you say? They stumbled into Leeds. Certainly it comes as no surprise to you that Howard was with the CIA. No, no surprise at all. They tripped over clues. We'd like to see all the material requested by the White House. All White House transactions are confidential. This whole thing is a cover-up. It's right on our nose. And piece by piece, they solve the greatest detective story in American history. My name is Andy Sedlak. It's great to be with you. I run the music department here at the Stream Police Podcast. Look, if you haven't already, please rate us and review us. 1,200 new podcasts pop up like every day, so... That would help us stand out in that crowded landscape. Everybody has a podcast. Gilbert Gottfried has a podcast. There's a podcast about the history of gnomes. There's one with the title, and this is a real, this is real. The podcast Weird Crap in Australia. So lots of amateur junk out there. And I'm not saying that. This isn't amateur junk, but, you know, there are levels to amateur junk, right? (laughs) On the scale of really totally amateur junk and amateur junk, but pretty good. I think, you know, I think we're on the right side of that scale. (laughs) Most months, anyway. (laughs) And and to be honest with you, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast is pretty good. Better than you would think. But I digress. Lots to get to this month. Do you like history? Well, we'll talk a little history. Nothing to do now, but get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Life under COVID-19 has obviously changed with the vaccine. Things are opening up. Every week you hear about more musicians who are headed back out on the road. As we speak, Garth Brooks just played a huge show in front of 68,000 people in Vegas. 68,000 people. That's not something that obviously you saw a year ago. He's a country megastar who's broken countless records, sold over 100 million records. We're, of course, talking about the one and only Garth Brooks. And now, coming around full circle, Garth Brooks' first stop since the pandemic will be right here in Vegas. Well, the, the opportunities that I think you have here is to show some kind of freaking responsibility, right? So the fact that you're one of the first ones back out just simply because of the date 
now you have an obligation to the rest of this industry to say, this is what we're doing. This worked for us. How about you guys? And so my thing is, I want people to have the best time, and I don't want any reports of of the second virus. Or I, mean, I just I don't want to see it. I, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't want it to happen. So we're taking all the precautions that we possibly can to make sure that we're doing our part. And then the rest of it, you just kind of throw up to fate and the common sense of the people you're playing for. And, and I hope that, uh, I really hope that that message gets across that if you're going to do it, do it responsibly. So things are getting better. But my goodness, has it been a long haul. Mariah Carey was one of the first acts to cancel shows due to the COVID-19 pandemic. She, um, she had a show in Hawaii planned on March 10th, 2020. She had to cancel that. Slipknot, also early to the cancellation party. They, uh, they scrubbed a show that was supposed to be 10 days after Mariah Carey's on March 20th. That was about the time we, we all started working from home. Now, a year and four months after Mariah Carey canceled her Hawaii show, Music is coming back. And if you are paying attention, Garth Brooks is not the the only one who's getting back out on the road. New shows, new dates are being announced every week. The Who, Celine Dion, Sean Colvin, Chris Stapleton, Eric Church, Genesis, Lady Gaga, Ringo Starr, Justin Bieber, Elton John, Rage Against the Machine, Kiss, Lionel Richie, The Foo Fighters have all announced rescheduled dates. Everybody's getting back out on the road. Well, everybody but Britney. Green Day is touring with Fall Out Boy and Weezer. They're getting back out on the road. The Songwriters Hall of Fame induction ceremony has been rescheduled. So was the Longitude Festival in Ireland, the Aftershock Festival in California, the Wonderbus Festival in Columbus will be happening in August. Bonnaroo in Tennessee will be happening in September. The New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Fest, which is a a festival that I've always wanted to go to. I've never had the pleasure. It will be happening in October. Coachella is canceled. The jury is still out on Lollapalooza and Bunbury in Cincinnati. But the tide is shifting. Shows are coming back. A couple weeks ago, a, a buddy and I were in a bar in Playhouse Square here in in downtown Cleveland, and and there was a band playing. It occurred to me this was the first live music I had heard since the pandemic began. They were playing this song, which I I don't particularly like, but then again, it never sounded better. Actually, I, I tell you what, I shot the video on my phone. He, here's that band from, from that night. Pretty tight, right? Shout out to uh, Sugar Packs out of Toledo. Live music is coming back. And that's a good thing. Although it seems 
like it's happening fast. Again, all these new shows are being added weekly. And it got me thinking, how did the entertainment industry bounce back after the last pandemic? The one in 1918. The mislabeled Spanish flu. How did they do it? Did it happen all at once? Did it happen gradually? We know that everything was shut down back then, just like it was shut down in in 2020. So perhaps it's worth a look. Perhaps it's worth stepping into the Wayback Machine. The year, 1918, and a virus just sparked one of the deadliest pandemics in recorded history. The 1918 flu became an outbreak because it was a new strain and people had no immunity to it. This new strain appeared after an H1N1 virus that likely originated in birds made the jump to humans. In the U.S., there was an absence of steady government leadership on the federal level, and not every city acted swiftly. Many cities closed theaters, movie houses, schools, and prohibited public gatherings. How did the 1918 flu pandemic end? In the U.S., fatal cases continued through the spring of 1919, and then herd immunity weakened the virus's stronghold. And according to historian John Barry, the virus itself eventually weakened, likely mutating into a less lethal strain. All told, the 1918 flu pandemic left 50 to 100 million people dead. Obviously, the concert industry wasn't the same that it is now back in 1918. Movies were in their infancy. There were theaters, and they would show silent films, but also, you know, vaudeville, plays, comedy, that kind of thing. So that's what we need to look at in in order to, to make a comparison. We need to look at how theaters responded to the pandemic of 1918. And there there are similarities. And, and in fact, they're incredible. First of all, people bitched about the closures then, just like they did all of last year. You read newspaper accounts from the time. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of into history anyway. So I I got into this. But nobody was happy. Churches closed, schools closed, theaters closed, people were pissed. And near as I can tell, schools and churches were closed in most places for four or five months. The theater was closed in most places for only a few weeks, not nearly as long as the churches and the schools. There were lawsuits. There was an onslaught of of bad press when theaters closed. Theater owners uh, bitched and moaned that they were losing their livelihoods. And, And to be fair to them, there was no government compensation like there is now. There were no small business loans that they could apply for. They were totally on their own. Movie houses, what they typically called movie theaters back then, were closed in Los Angeles for seven weeks. The press described it and the local papers as a funless season. A funless season. Meanwhile, how many thousands of people are dying a week because of the pandemic? Interestingly, Broadway did not close at all. During the 1918 pandemic, Broadway in New York City. Probably because there was an actor's strike going on at the time. And uh, that ultimately shut down Broadway anyhow. 
before Broadway shut down, they did stagger curtain times. But that was the extent of their response to the pandemic 100 years ago. The strike, by the way, was, was related to pay, not working conditions in spite of the pandemic. By all accounts, we were a little more careful this time around. I know when you're living through it, and you're living through that daily friction, it can feel like we didn't make much progress, but, but it seems that we did. For the coronavirus, Broadway was shut down for about 15 months. It had never been shut down that long before in the history of Broadway. Never happened. From March of 2022, Bruce Springsteen actually reopening Broadway with his show, on June 27th of 2021. Springsteen on Broadway is the first Broadway show to reopen since this $1.8 billion industry shut down on March 11th, 2020 because of the pandemic. It's just a limited run of 30 shows for this 71-year-old superstar. And these Bruce fans have been waiting for hours and hours to catch a glimpse of the boss before 8 p.m. curtain time. Broadway's back tonight. Why wouldn't we be here? And it's the boss. It's Bruce Springsteen. What more could you want from a night in New York City? I became a fan during the pandemic, and he's just like the only artist I've been listening to during the pandemic. So I had to see him. More shows like 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 uh, Hamilton will reopen in September. Another thing the 1918 pandemic has in common with the latest pandemic is that entertainment venues seem to open. All at once. Once one domino falls, other things go too, and everybody starts to open up. A North Carolina newspaper commented that it was like somebody flipped a switch. And that's probably something that you've heard a time or two recently. The previous pandemic had had really no lasting impact, no lasting effect on the artistic community. World War I was going on at the same time, and it's like history was really only capable of remembering one major event at a time. How many movies have been made about World War I? How many documentaries? How many plays? How many books have been written? The answer is plenty. At the same time, how many movies, how many documentaries, how many books, how many plays have come out where the pandemic is sort of the centerpiece of the story or it's, or it's set amid the 1918-1919 pandemic? I've only come across one as a PBS documentary, The American Experience. It's the only one I, I can think of off the top of my head. And, and, and I don't think that'll be the case this time around. Maybe it will. But it's already been documented. It's already starting. You know, the, the documentation process has already begun. Songs have been written about the COVID-19 pandemic that weren't written about the 1918 pandemic. Obviously, things spread on the internet. There's an avenue now that there wasn't before. And here's one called Stay Home by Big and Rich. Stay home, stay home. No reason in the world for you to roam. We're all in this together. No friend, you ain't alone. Yoga's done got canceled, mom. 
school's now in session and I'm pulling out my hair. It's halfway through the morning, I'm still in my underwear. Stay home, stay home. No reason in the world for you to roam. We're all in this together. No, friend, you ain't alone. All you gotta do is stay home. More COVID-19 songs. This is Six Feet Apart by Luke Combs. I miss my mom, I miss my dad. I miss the road, I miss my band. Giving hugs and shaking hands. It's a mystery, I suppose. Just how long this thing goes. But there'll be crowds and there'll be shows. And there will be light after dark. Someday we are six feet apart. Pandemic songs. Here's Bon Jovi with Do What You Can. Maybe it's saving someone's life They had to cancel graduation It ain't fair to stop the prom I guess it home in isolation TV news is always on When you can't do what you do You do what you can This ain't my fair It's just a thought I'm wanting to send Think about how many rap references you're going to hear in the next few years. I I think it'll be a a touchstone, a cultural reference point for years to come. The pandemic will be remembered and referenced in ways that, that the 1918 pandemic was not. Write it down. Think of the movies that will come out set against empty streets, right? Zoom meetings. <laughs> There's a comedy. Judd Apatow's got a comedy in there somewhere. I think it'll happen because it's already started. Here's Trevor Noah and Jason Isbell. Like, is, is coronavirus inspiring everything you create? Or <laughs> are you using coronavirus to to write about everything else you've experienced in life? Because I, I feel like everyone is choosing one of the two. Everyone's, some people are thinking about isolation only. And then other artists are going, no, I, I think about everything that's not coronavirus. And that's what I'm making music with. Well, it I got lucky because I have made a career out of writing uh, lonely folk songs, basically. And so now it's perfect. I just keep doing what I'm doing. I already was writing about sitting alone in my room and not being able to touch anyone. Um, <laughs> so it just it slides right in there for me. But to tell you the truth, I sit with headphones on and I play the electric guitar for about five hours a day uh, when I get the opportunity to do that. And it's just like I did when I was 12 or 13. And wow. So I feel like my musicianship is is getting better, um, and I'm still writing. I take notes all the time. Right. It's not really been. I'm somebody who needs a little bit of time, and that sort of, uh, you know, I need the moment of tranquility. I think I think that's a words worth thing. But I needed that time after something serious happens in my life. I need to reflect on it a while before it comes back out as a song. 
Um, so I think a year from now, I might, I might start writing about this particular time. You know that we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. You can find it and enjoy it on Spotify by searching Stream Police Playlist. Every month, we add five more songs, so here we go. First, it's Dendi by Urban Village. Second, Ave Maria. Now this version is by Marina Rebecca. Switching gears a little bit, this is The Mists of Time from ACDC, their most recent release called Power Up, and this is about as close to uh, reflection, (laughs) self-reflection, as I think ACDC is capable of, and it's pretty good. Then, Never Get Old from David Bowie. This is from the album Reality, released in 2004. Finally, it's Treat Her Right by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. I want to tell you a story every man ought to know. 
Practice my method just as hard as you can. You're gonna get a reputation as a loving man. Yeah, you'll be glad every night that you treated her right. going to toss it back to Clint. He's going to talk about the Friends reunion. I never really spent much time with the show Friends. Watched it with, you know, girlfriends over the years, but uh, never took that deep dive. And frankly, I, I can't I can't picture Clint doing it either, uh, which is why, why I think this will be interesting. I like hearing what he has to say about things I can't imagine him watching. So here we go. Clint, take it away. I always enjoy hearing what the five songs are going to be, and I consider myself a music nerd right there with the best of them, but that might be the first time, and Andy's been doing that segment for a long time, that might be the first time that Andy has picked out five recordings that I have never heard before. I never have heard a single one of those in my life. I mean, obviously, I know Ave Maria, but I've never heard that recording of it. So, uh, I mean, I couldn't believe it. Throwing in a little opera, my own. He's going to make me break out the Gabagool and the Sfoyatelle. So thank you, Andy. Always good to hear from you, my friend. I hope to see you soon. hope to make the trip up to Cleveland and catch up. It's been way, way too long. You can always reach out to Andy, though, again, at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. You can follow him on Instagram at Andy Sedlack. All right, speaking of Friends, I wanted to bring up the uh, Friends reunion, which just aired recently on HBO Max. And I just wanted to give you a couple of my thoughts on it. This wasn't something, uh, again, kind of like what I was talking about with the match. This wasn't something that necessarily blew blew my mind and, and made me think a whole lot after I went to bed that night. But it was something that... I did actually enjoy watching for a couple hours, and I wouldn't even call myself. I haven't seen every episode of Friends. I've seen probably a lot of them. I mean, I grew up in that time that it was the biggest show on TV, and uh, my wife, Beth, loves Friends. Uh, she's, you know, she's watched it over through again, you know, a couple times, and uh, she likes that show. So I've seen it. I've seen my fair share of Friends episodes um, and I've probably seen most of the episodes, but not all of them. But so I wouldn't call myself like a big Friends expert is what I'm getting at. But I watched the Friends reunion special on HBO Max. And I have to say, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought as far as reunion specials go, this was the way to do it. The, I thought the production values were extremely high. I liked the um, 
fact that they did have a live, that they waited, they put this thing on pause enough to be able to actually have a live audience out there to do it. I loved this, the bringing back the sets and, um, you know, having the iconic fountain out there when they were doing their their Q&A and the kind of little segments that they did to break up the whole thing. If you haven't seen it, uh, they use kind of classic moments from the show and they kind of recreate them uh, with the actors, you know, as they are now to, you know, just kind of show you that these actors really like it showed me kind of how talented they all were and how in tune with those characters they were, because really it's not like they're necessarily like them. In real life, you know what I mean? I mean, Matt LeBlanc doesn't walk around acting like Joey. You know, he's not this, like, cocky moron, uh, you know, who just kind of gets lucky all the time. That's not really what he's actually about. But when he slips back into character, it's like instant. And he's able to kind of do it again, like, right away. And same with same with all of them. I think that they were just such a talented cast. Um, and it's it's what made the show work so well. And, and they hit on some things in it. They talked about the casting of the show and the... The, the challenges that they went through with it and stuff like that. They had the, you know, the producers and creators of the show talking about that. And I always love that kind of stuff when I'm hearing about an iconic show, but they talked about the fact that friends worked really well. Uh, and what they wanted to do, what, what they wanted it to be was a true ensemble. And, and the fact that none of the characters ended up being the star when it was all done, which it made me realize how kind of incredible that was because this was a show that was such a cultural phenomenon and was such a big show and the, the paychecks were huge and all these actors were very attractive and very good at what they did and all of them kind of, they had movies that would come out and stuff like that, especially Courtney Cox was in a few movies uh, there and they really, they all were, they were all in some different movies while the show was on. But none of them, like, left the show ever. And none of them seemed to demand that they be the star of the show or that they get top billing or whatever. It wasn't like that. And I think the fact that the egos stayed in check is what made this show last for as long as it did and work as well as it did. I mean, you think about that. The fact that six people is a big cast. That's a big central cast. To never have any of them leave the show early or disappear for a couple of seasons and come back and, or something like that that would have to be explained. Those kind of things that happen in a lot of TV shows. Um, I mean, hell, The X-Files, one of my favorite shows, that was a two-person cast. They couldn't even keep that together. You know what I mean? David Duchovny leaves, and then he decides he wants to come back. And so it's, you know, and it it's, it causes this whole awkward thing when you're watching it and they have to write around it and stuff. But that never happened on Friends with any of the six. So I think it's a testament to NBC taking care of them, but also to those actors themselves for being, um, you know, just professional enough to know their role and shut their mouths, basically, and realize how great of a situation they were in as an actor. None of them thinking like they were bigger than the property, which they weren't. And uh, that's that's what is so rare when you have a cast that big, that talented, that popular, uh, that they were able to do that. And I, I thought the, um, the reunion special, which is now on HBO Max if you want to watch it, I just thought it was well done. I, I thought it was what what we needed. It, it, and and I guess it took a little bit of, of heat because it didn't really like, there were no big revelations that came out of it that people didn't already know. Uh, people who have like kept up with friends behind the scenes news over the years. There, there wasn't really anything, I guess, groundbreaking coming out of it, but I didn't really care about that. And maybe that's because I haven't kept up with like 
behind the scenes news. So there was a lot of new stuff to me that I heard in it, but that's not why I watch a reunion special. I'm not watching it to like hear stories necessarily that like I've never, I'm not really watching it for tea necessarily to be spilled. I think that, you know, that is a good thing, but it really just makes headlines. I'm watching it to see these people back together again and, and, and just see them in a room because you just don't get to see that anymore. Uh, when your favorite show is gone, and that's one of the things that always makes us so sad when a great show we love is gone, is that you're just not you're not going to see these actors together in a frame again. And with Friends, you got to see that this time, and it, it makes you think about shows that you love. Uh, like for me, one of my all-time favorite shows, The Sopranos. I think they're getting the cast back together for some kind. They're talking about it anyway. Again at HBO Max, uh, and they're doing the prequel movie, but that's not going to have the actors from the original series in it. So, but they've talked about doing a, a reunion special, but obviously James Gandolfini is, is dead. He's been dead for a while. So it's not going to be a reunion. I mean, you don't have the main character there, so you don't have the best part of the show in the reunion. So it's going to be tough to call it that. It'll be great to see the other actors back together again and hear them telling stories, but you know, to not see James Gandolfini there, it's going to make the whole thing sad. So I thought with this friends reunion, it was feel good and it was fun to see them uh together again now james corden is kind of you know some people enjoy him i guess other people think he's annoying as shit i i don't he doesn't get on my nerves that bad but he's certainly not the guy that i would have necessarily picked to host this thing i I don't know he's just a lot to take in uh and can kind of get in the way i think sometimes so uh, I, I wasn't loving him doing it, but I, you know, I liked some of the moments they did. I liked when they highlighted the costumes from the show with the, they did a little fashion show with like fans, famous fans of the show walking around on a fashion show runway, showing off some of the more ridiculous costumes from the show. So that was a nice way to, to remind us of like classic parts of the series. Um, but do it in a way that was not just a clip show. And they also brought back a lot of the kind of ancillary characters and, and showed them all, uh, again, some of those actors that you hadn't seen in forever and you got to hear from them. Uh, and that was cool as well because, you know, in a sitcom especially, the supporting characters and those kind of oddball people that hang around on the outsides on the margins are a lot of times just as important to the show as the main cast are. So and I think that was the case for Friends as well. So uh, overall, I just uh, enjoyed the Friends reunion a lot more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. I, I don't, I still don't think it's as good as the reunion that uh, Seinfeld did on Curb Your Enthusiasm because the way that was done was just brilliant. It was, it was scripted and it was like they were filming a new episode of Seinfeld, but it was only in the world of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it w- just had kind of this other layer of not really being reality and and that made it funnier and that made you wonder what really could happen because they were just playing fictionalized versions of themselves but again seeing the four of them together and with Larry David was fantastic uh and it that was to me the gold standard of of uh, television reunion specials but uh I liked the friends reunion I think fans of the show uh you know what what more could you want it's it's cool to see these these people together and get to watch them hang out and spend time on the set again, tell stories and just kind of enjoy each other's company. And uh, I thought it was really sad that uh, Matthew Perry said on the show that 
you know, he every night was like had this crippling anxiety that he just wasn't going to be funny. And like everything he said wasn't funny. And he thought no one would would laugh at anything he would say, even like at the height of the show's power. He still was doubting himself so much. Uh, And that was awful to hear, because to me, he was always the guy that carried it. I always thought Chandler was easily the funniest part of the show. And just the guy that the jokes always landed, I thought, with him. So that was surprising for me to hear, but also not surprising because you hear that a lot with actors. It's just one of those jobs that I think just attracts insecure people. And then when they thrive on getting laughs, getting uh, recognition, when some, when they don't get 100% of the laughs, when they don't shake the rafters with the applause, then it's like, oh, my God, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a failure. And... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm nothing. So you have a lot of those people. You also have a lot of egomaniacs, but I think you have a lot of those people who just feel complete, like all self doubt and that everything's going to be taken away from them in a moment. And that was really sad for me to hear with uh, Matthew Perry during that. But if you want to check out the friends reunion special, it is streaming now on HBO max. So I definitely uh, recommend you uh, give it a watch. If you have any interest in friends at all, if you don't, care about friends then don't watch it because why would you but for fans of the show definitely worth your time and you know what now i got closure he storms out furious rachel locks the three locks on the front door (sighs) then she stops leans on a table and drops her head when she looks up she's startled to see ross at the door staring back at her They hold each other's gaze. She steps slowly towards the door, then more quickly. She unlocks the first lock, the second, the third, and then goes to pull the door open. Try try the bottom one. The door flies open, Ross rushes in, grabs her, and they kiss. The Friends Reunion special was fine, but it was not the best thing I watched this month. That's what I'm going to tell you about now. And for that, I'm going to go to 1955. A little bit of French cinema for you. How about Rififi? This was the best thing I watched this month. It's floating around in a Criterion Collection DVD now, which should not surprise you. Pretty much all the best French movies you can think of have gotten the Criterion treatment. But uh, this is a French heist movie, which is one of my favorite genres of the heist, uh, of the whole heist genre, really. Um, I love movies like The Red Circle or, if you want to be fancy, Le Cercle Rouge. And um, Rafifi, I think, is right there with that one, which I consider the all-time great French heist movie. Uh, This one was directed by Jules Dassin, who's actually an American. And if you don't know anything about Jules Dassin, he was blacklisted during the McCarthy era. So very promising young American director, got blacklisted from Hollywood when people started naming names. He got thrown out as a communist, so he ended up fleeing the United States, went to work in France... Uh, and produced some great films in France. Uh, a lot of some good French language movies, and Rafifi might be the best of all of them. It was based on this kind of obscure book where really one chapter of it was about this robbery, and Dassin ends up reading the book and turning the entire film into that chapter. 
uh, or taking the entire film from just that chapter. So it's it's all about a heist. About like 40 minutes of the movie, I want to say, is the heist sequence. It's done totally in silence. There's no music. There's no dialogue. Um, it's just these master thieves breaking into a jewelry store and uh, trying to recover as much as they can while trying to outsmart these, you know, high-tech alarm systems in the mid-1950s. Uh, and we get to know their process. It's very much procedural stuff. And then we see what happens after the crime uh, is pulled off. So, And it all just is very juicy the whole way through. So I really enjoyed Rafifi and uh, urge you to check it out. If you have the Criterion channel, I think it's on there. Uh, if not, check out your uh, local library. See if they've got a copy of it because libraries usually have all those Criterion movies if it's a big enough library. And those movies are expensive to buy. So I definitely urge you check them out. And then, you know, if you love the movie, then buy it. That's what I always do with uh, these Criterion movies. Uh, but look it up. Rififi, R-I-F-I-F-I from 1955 from Jules Dassin. That was the best thing I watched this month. Very cool film. All the heist movie cliches too, by the way. You know, you've got the, the longtime veteran thief who gets out of a after a long stretch in prison and is like i'm done i'm out of the game i'm not doing anything more and then you know one of his friends says what about one last job it's easy it's a piece of cake and we're going to take all you know millions of dollars and so he eventually talks him into it uh you know there's a wayward lover involved as well it's again every cliche of the uh, heist genre but rafifi was right there kind of at the beginning of them and i think a lot of movies have ripped it off over the years, including uh, The Red Circle, which, again, I is my favorite heist movie ever, my favorite French heist movie especially. Um, but I, I just like something about The Red Circle better, uh, but I think Rafifi is, is fantastic, and uh, you'll see a lot of movies have ripped it off over the years if you watch it. All right, let me add to your cues here. Uh, as I always like to give you something light and something dark that's streaming now on Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max. So let's go ahead and get into those. Let's uh, jot these down and add them to your queue uh, if you have any interest. From Netflix, let's go something light from 1988, Midnight Run. This is one that I know Andy enjoys a lot. And uh, he was telling me just not very long ago that... You know, he 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 really enjoyed this movie and, and seeing De Niro do comedy kind of like early in his career before the comedy thing just like became all he was doing was really kind of fun. And Charles Grodin's in it as well from Beethoven. So not much not to like about Midnight Run, which is now streaming on Netflix. Something dark for you on Netflix. I love this movie. 2005's Memoirs of a Geisha. Uh, just a terribly sad but beautiful period movie. Um, the music, some of the, this is John Williams. I, th I think Williams won an Oscar for this. If not, he should have, because this is absolutely some of the best music that John Williams has ever put down to film. And again, this is just a gorgeous movie, but yeah, totally devastating, totally sad and, and brilliantly acted. Um, Z Zhang and, and, and Ken Watanabe give their best in this movie. If you missed Memoirs of a Geisha, check it out on Netflix. Cause in high def, you really can't beat it. Cause again, it's just gorgeous scenery as well, but keep the tissues around on Amazon prime video, something light for you to check out this month. 2001's snatch, a British classic. 
Uh, I mean, this is the Guy Ritchie, the the most Guy Ritchie movie of all the Guy Ritchie movies. You you know, turn on the subtitles because you can hardly understand what anybody's saying, especially Brad Pitt. Um, Jason Statham is absolutely at his best in this movie. The cast is tremendous from top to bottom. The whole thing is just so zany to keep up with. Uh, and it's just a cool fucking movie. I love Snatch. I just rewatched it not that long ago and yeah, it still holds up. Still very funny. So check that out on Prime Video now if you missed it. If you like those British gangster crime movies, you'll you'll really like Snatch because it's 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 kind of in a league of its own in those. Something dark for you on Prime Video. Guess who's coming to dinner from 1967? This isn't like pitch black dark. Uh, there is certainly some, a lot of heart to be found in this movie, but it is serious is what I mean by something dark. I mean, this is not a lark of a movie. So if you haven't watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, this is the, you know, the iconic Stanley Kramer message picture from back in the day about the uh, white woman and the black man who, you know, get together and decide to have dinner at her parents' house. And her parents are wealthy, very liberal white people and his parents are you know obviously black people and uh, they are going to come to dinner as well and neither of them are particularly thrilled about you know the, the two of them dating somebody who's not white or not black and uh, it's it's just there's a lot of really great writing in this movie that still holds up very well today there's a lot of poignant things being said and uh, a lot of things that are still uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about, even all these years later. So 1967's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, I think it's a fantastic movie. I loved it. When I finally got around to watching it a couple of years ago, um, I was sad that I took so long to watch it. So check it out. Just great, great acting also from Sidney Poitier, of course, uh, Catherine Hepburn. Spencer Tracy, it's just a it's a, a brilliant cast and a it's a it's a classic for a reason. So that's on prime video now for you to check out let's go to hulu a couple good ones here for you something light from 1987 it's robocop this one's actually pretty dark it's very grim it's like dystopian future uh the practical special effects are gory and gruesome and nasty but it's also funny and it's a great movie to kind of get drunk with and watch and just enjoy yourself and go back to the 1980s if you'd never seen robocop uh, i certainly recommend you check it out because it's just kind of it's just so very unique. It's hard to even think of a movie that's very much like this one. Um, and God, man, does it make Detroit look like a hellhole? Uh, it absolutely, absolutely does. And the whole ending, um, big set piece at like that, whatever it is, that abandoned like steel mill that they're at where RoboCop's just killing all these gangsters is so well done and great. And so much nasty special effects gore. That's done in that movie. So I just, I love RoboCop. It's it's funny and and fantastic and so, so 1980s. Uh, futuristic 1980s. It's, it's great stuff. Also on Hulu, something dark from 2011. Take Shelter. This was a movie that I put on my top 10 movies of the 2010s when I did that uh, at the end of... Uh, did I do that at the end of 2019? Yeah, I think I did. And uh, I, I told you, I thought it was one of my 10 favorite movies of the decade. I, I think it's just an amazing film. I think the script is so good. I think it's such a great look at mental illness. 
Um, but also there's enough mystery here. And with that ending, that's unforgettable, uh, that makes you wonder, did everything I see really happen or did it not? Um, and it's the great Michael Shannon starring in this one. The whole thing was filmed in Ohio too. So that kind of gives me another reason to recommend it. So if you didn't see take shelter, it's a fantastic little movie that a lot of people missed. And I just have never stopped thinking about again, one of my top 10 of the last decade. It's hard to find too. So Check it out while you got a chance on Hulu. It's called Take Shelter from 2011. And finally, on HBO Max, something light and something dark. First, let's go with the light one, Pleasantville from 1998. Actually, both these movies from HBO Max I'm going to give you are from 1998. Uh, and Pleasantville is one of my very favorites. Uh, it's about the, the two kids, Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire, who go through the TV and end up in their favorite, in, in Tobey Maguire's favorite sitcom from the 1950s, this black and white show. Um, and, you know, they, they start finding out basically that things are not as great as they seem on TV in the town of Pleasantville. And they start to open the character's eyes to, uh, you know, bigger, better, more passionate things in life that they could be into. And this is just a, a great movie with a lot of um, metaphors. It's got a very smart script. It's uh, very artistically done. And this was one of those movies that I think showed a lot of people that Jeff Daniels could really act because he plays kind of the heart and soul of the entire film. He, he really plays um, one of the better characters in the movie here. Uh, and it's just, it's a great cast from top to bottom, but Jeff Daniels always blows me away whenever I check out Pleasantville. So Give that one a watch if you've neglected it. I I pretty much guarantee that you will like that movie. I don't know how someone couldn't like Pleasantville. It's a, it's a, it's a great one. And finally, uh, something dark from HBO Max. Again, 1998. It's Snake Eyes. This is a movie that it's a little to me it, it disappoints me a little by the time it's over just because the opening is so goddamn good. It's got to be one of the best opening sequences I've ever seen in a movie. It's one of those no cut kind of things, long take. Uh, I don't know if there's actually no cuts or if it's one of those things where they did camera tricks to make it look like no cuts, but it's a Im very impressive opening. Uh, and this is Nicolas Cage kind of at the height of his, his powers investigating, uh, you know, a, a fight, a big heavyweight championship fight in Las Vegas uh, where it looked like maybe some shady shit was going on. Uh, and he's, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what happened and what's going on in this casino because there's all kinds of crazy things happening behind the scenes in the seedy underbelly of this casino. So it's a, it's a cool investigative kind of detective procedural movie that I, with a sports twist that I think you'll really enjoy. But again, watch the first like 20 minutes of Snake Eyes and I, I don't see how you'll be able to turn away. Uh, the whole movie doesn't live up to that opening, but the opening is amazing and i uh it's one of the it's one of these movies that i always recommend to people just based on that scene kind of because it's really something you need to see so snake eyes from 1998 now streaming on hbo max all right that's going to do it for another edition of the stream police podcast always great sitting here talking movies and television with you and i'm sure andy would say the same about the tunes so uh, we'll talk to you guys again in a month Reach out to me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Hit me up on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. You can just message me there as well. And Andy is at uh, Sedlak Journal at Gmail. And he's at Andy Sedlak on Instagram. And I'm sure if you slid into his DMs, he wouldn't mind. Who knows? You might even give him an idea for a segment like Amanda did for me with the 4th of July. 
this month. All right, talk to you in a month. Until then, stream on, my friend. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.